Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Kylie Nicole. I'm a medium in Perth in WA. And this series of episodes is around empowering women. It's around the Empowered Path program that I run. And I've had women nominated to come and have a chat with me because somebody has has nominated them based on their story and them making incredible change. So for today's session, we've got Nikki Greenhelg here. Um, she is representing a, a, a brand or a company called Living with Follicular Lymphoma. Hi, Nikki. How are you doing? I'm well, thanks, Kylie. <laughs> awesome. So um, tell me a little bit about your journey. Tell me where you've come from. Oh, well, gosh, where do I start? I think I guess it all starts from uh, back in 2013. I was diagnosed, uh, well, actually 20, early 2014, I was diagnosed with a type of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, it's called follicular lymphoma. It's uh, the second most common type of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, it is, uh, unfortunately, it's un- incurable. So um, that was uh, the tough part of the the, uh, the whole thing for me. Um, I was uh, uh, stage four at the time of my oh. diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. I just, um, I've, I just had my, my youngest son at the time. So um, he wasn't even a year old. So that was really hard. And um, yeah, so I was started treatments just about straight away, I think, and I was on a year of treatment. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that was hard. Um, and when I finished my treatment, they said, basically said, okay, well, it's, it's probably, it's going to come back in about three to five years. So those are the stats around that. Um, at the time, they also said my prognosis based on the statistics was around 10 years. I mean, we're in 10 years, aren't we? We are. Well, almost wow. next year will be 10 years. Yeah. Oh, my word. Yeah. Okay. So how did you find out that you were sick? What was what happened? How did you know that something wasn't right? Um, I was uh, sitting in, in my office um, with one of my colleagues and she um, said to me, she's a bit of a hypochondriac, she said, oh, I always feel my neck for lumps because if um, I've got a lump, it means I've got cancer. And I sort of rolled my eyes and... And felt my neck as you do, and oh I, I felt about thirty lumps on my neck. Oh my god, Nikki! <laughs> so I thought, oh, that's a bit strange. And I mean, I didn't panic at the time. I was thought, okay. Well, I better go along to the doctor and check that out. And he said, all right, I'll give you a, a blood test, and I'll, I'll let you know if anything comes of that. And then nothing did. About six weeks later, I, I happened to go back to my GP uh, for, for my son. I took him in and I said, oh, by the way, I've still got those lumps on my neck. And he got a look on his face and he said, well, okay, all right, well, we need to do something a little further for this. I'm going to send you for a, um, a fine needle biopsy so um, where they stick a needle in my neck and that just terrified me. It, was... <laughs> it sounds wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I went along to um, the... Uh, the uh, SKG and I said, here's from my doctor, I need to have a fine needle aspiration. And they said, no, we don't do it that way. We, we ultrasound and then we wait six weeks and then you come back and we see if the, the lumps have changed in size and then if we feel we need to, we'll do a fine needle biopsy. So I was quite happy with that. I didn't want a needle in my neck. <laughs> so I had the, the ultrasound um, and then a few weeks later, a, another lump popped up in my groin area. And a few, I spoke to a few friends, some who are doctors, and said, go back right now and get that uh, checked. So my GP said, um, all right, I'm going to send you straight to a haematologist. And he did the, the fine needle aspiration. And two weeks later, I got a phone call to say, I have a, definitely have a lymphatic disorder. And the whole time thinking I've got glandular fever, uh, just the wow. words fell out of my mouth, is that cancer? And the doctor says, yes. 
Oh, wow. And okay. that, yeah, that was the punch in the face moment for me. That would have been so huge. Yeah. I can't even imagine. And so your son was, how old was he? He was about 10 months old at the time. I was still breastfeeding. Oh, my word. Yeah. Wow, that is a lot. And what was your, like, what was your, what did your life look like? Are you married? Were you working? What was your life before yeah. diagnosis? So my life before diagnosis, I um, was working in our family business as a mortgage broker. Awesome. So um, my dad was the principal of the, the company. My sister was originally a mortgage broker as well, and then I became a mortgage broker. And um, I loved the lifestyle because uh, although it was constant, um, it was very flexible. So I was able to have my kids. So I've got two kids. I've got a, a, a daughter and a son. Um, uh, they're currently 14 and 10. <laughs> oh. Back then they were, you know, one and, one and, four. One and four. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, yeah, and uh, so that's basically what my life looked like. I was, you know... Raising two little kids, um, I'm married to the most wonderful man, very supportive, um, and I was also working as a mortgage broker. So. Oh, so busy, momming and working and wifing. Yeah, <laughs> and and it's funny because I didn't. The only thing was the lumps that really brought the, the whole thing to my attention. I was suffering terrible fatigue. Um, I thought that was normal being a mum. Yeah, you know? and why wouldn't you? And especially when you do have so many balls in the air in that. But how amazing that a very random chance conversation about someone like that is incredible. That's obviously come in with you being looked after mm-hmm. in that time. That's to me, that's huge. That's yeah. pretty amazing. <laughs> so I don't know. Look, there's nothing that brings your mortality into light, like being told you don't have time. Like time is the one thing that we never know if we have. We assume we do. Yeah. We hope for the best. And then somebody who, you know, a doctor we look up to because they're they're trained they know more than us we have to trust them Mm -hmm. they're suddenly telling us that there's a finite timeline that we're facing yeah and you have small children and and a partner that you love and a life that you love and autonomy in your business it's a family business like there's so much so much good stuff going on there and then suddenly you're told that this you know this may not be viable for you for too much longer yeah that's going to be a make or break moment you're either going to you're going to break or you're going to grow so how did you handle the mindset like what was your process with that I think at the time it was a major wake-up call for me. Uh, I was giving all of me to everyone around me and I didn't realise at the time. Um, My my mum was also sick as well at the time and I was helping to look after her um, and uh, I just didn't realise the, the, you know, the food I was putting in my body was not helping me at all. I wasn't hydrating myself. I was just, just... going, getting along with it, getting on with mm. it, you know, and just not even thinking about myself and, and how to help myself. So that was a huge wake-up call from me. Uh, the first thing I did was, uh, after I heard the word incurable, was, well, I'm not going to take that answer. Um, you know, 10 years is not enough. I need, no, to, I need to be... Not even nearly. need to watch my kids grow. I need to meet my grandchildren. So that so I, I jumped on the internet and I was like, right, I'm going to find a cure for myself. Um, I went down so many deep rabbit holes got to the point where I was just frazzled. I would walk into a supermarket thinking, I'm going to walk out. I'm going to get all the clean food I can get and I'm going to heal myself. And I'd walk out with an organic banana in tears thinking there's nothing I can eat. I lost so much weight. I I was originally about 65 kilos. I went down to about 48 kilos. Oh, wow. So I was, it wasn't a very nice skinny. It was, I felt like I was going to break. I didn't have much muscle um, so yeah, it was just, I got myself into a state where I, I mean, during treatment I was in warrior mode. Yeah. So I was, 
you know, wanted to save myself. But once the treatment finished, that was when my mental health took a major downturn. I guess when, when you're receiving treatment, you know that somebody's actively doing something to fight whatever's in your body that shouldn't be there. Yeah. And even as difficult as it is, I mean, the side effects, did you have to go through chemo and radiation or how is, what is treatment for this? So for me, I was uh, really lucky to be accepted onto a medical trial uh, where they coupled immunotherapy with uh, radioactive iodine. So it was called radioimmunotherapy. Um, so I was right at the end of this trial and they said that it was successful in about 80 of participants. So I thought, well, those odds are pretty good. They are, yeah. And uh, so it's very different treatment to what majority of FL patients have had. A lot of them have had chemotherapy. A lot of them go on watch and wait, which means they don't have any treatment. And yeah, until it gets to a certain point where, um, you know, it could be affecting their organs. Um, This uh, particular cancer is a slow growing cancer. Uh, So you can wait for a while. And, And at the time, I felt grateful that I could treat it straight away. But yeah. now knowing what I know, I wish I'd had the time to really soak it in and think about it before commencing any treatment. Really? Yeah. yeah. What do you think you would have done differently? Um, I think I would have really focused, concentrated on my health a lot and, and you know, and I did that anyway, I guess. So I, just focusing on my, uh, my lifestyle and what the changes I can make, but also learning. I would have spent a lot of time researching and learning what type of treatments were available and uh, what would have given me the best um, outcome as well as quality of life afterwards because it is a, an ongoing thing. Were you affected by side effects from the treatment? Did you have, like, because I know I've got a friend who's going through chemo at the moment and she's pretty much flawed. She's just, she's non-viable for about two or three days after a session. Yeah, so my uh, so I had the immunotherapy uh, every three months for a year. Uh, after the first session, I was injected with radioactive iodine and I was put under house arrest for wow. 10 days. Um, I left my family and I went and stayed at my auntie and uncle's house, um, which was actually really lovely. Um, I had my own little quarter of the house and um, all everybody in the house, including the dog, had to wear a badge uh, to measure how much radiation they were absorbing. Wow. Yeah, so it was um, the hospital sent a physician out to to check the premises and and do all of that. So I wasn't allowed to leave the house or be within five metres of anyone for 10 days. Wow, you COVIDed before COVID was a thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I got a little taste of that, didn't I? Yeah, but in regards to side effects, I had uh, the usual fatigue, which I was pretty used to by now anyway. Um, There was a bit of nausea um, after having the radioactive iodine. Um, And with the rituximab, I experienced severe mouth sores. Yeah. I also had a side effect called geographic tongue, where I basically lost all my taste buds. Um, well, they all moved to the edge of my tongue and my tongue was smooth, so I couldn't taste for about a year. Wow. Yeah, so that was hard. Um, and, uh, yeah, there was just lots of bits and pieces. Like my immune system just took a downturn. And it really, well, the numbers on my blood test say it hasn't recovered, um, but it's, um, you know, I've, I've learned over the years how, how to keep my immune system as strong as I can. That's amazing. And it would have been a learning process for sure. Did you feel supported as you were going through the research for the disease and what that looks like? Did you feel like you had information available to you or a community available to you at that point? No, 100% no. And I think that's where I got lost um, a lot of the time because this type of lymphoma, although it is the second most common, 
it, uh, the most common, which is called diffuse large B cell, it's a more aggressive but curable form, is um, is much more common. And when uh, I was when I was in touch with other lymphoma patients, I mainly had that type, which I couldn't relate. Yeah. Um, so, and, and even out there, I couldn't, I just couldn't find the information on follicular lymphoma. It just wasn't very well known. It's considered a rare cancer. Okay. Um, so I, I guess I was just blind uh, at the time and just looking for things, looking for people to connect with, and I just couldn't find that. So how did you go about changing that? What was the, what made you change that? And how did you go about that process? So it was about, uh, I finished my last treatment February 2015. Uh, that was probably one of the worst years of my life. I was severely depressed and an- anxious every day. I yeah, was, wow. Yeah, I was crying every day and I was also trying to raise my kids and work and my, my daughter had just, uh, she'd started school and so that was hard and I, I had a moment uh, probably around uh, October, November that year where I I was going through my daughter's school bag and I found a letter that she'd written to Santa uh, at school and it said, um, I have one wish for for Christmas and that would be for my mum to be happy every day. Oh, my gosh. So for me that was the moment. It's still yeah. I still get upset when I, when <laughs> I talk about it, emotional, but um, that was the pivotal moment for me when I thought this is really affecting my kids and... They're my number one. So if it's affecting them, I need to do something about it. Yeah. Uh, so my husband and I uh, got, you know, we, we got together and realised that I needed to connect with others. I didn't feel like I could relate to anyone. And for my mental health, I needed that. So we searched the internet looking for people of Facebook groups and there wasn't anything around specifically for follicular lymphoma. So I... I thought I'll, I'll just start one and I, I named that Living with Follicular Lymphoma because we, we have to live with this for the rest of our lives yep. and um, I think mainly I wanted to connect with others uh, for that mental health aspect as well as swapping lifestyle tips and um, and meet others who've been living with this for a long time because that gives us a lot of hope. What is the, like, what does that, that demographic look like? How are people living with this? What does their... How are they adapting and changing their lives to make it workable? Um, mainly managing deficiencies I think is really, really important, mm-hmm. making sure that our body has all the nutrients it needs to operate really well, um, reducing toxins in our, in our lives is also another really big one. So there's lots of different things like sleep, reducing stress. Yeah. So all of those things I try and incorporate into my life. And then you've gone on to do a um, degree, haven't you? Um, yes, I'm in my final year of my degree. That's yeah. amazing. And yeah. tell me about that. What, how did, why? Like I understand food is medicine and that's incredible, but yeah. where did you find the energy and like how's it going for you? <laughs> I think it was one of those light bulb moments for me. I, I never really knew what I wanted to do with my life. I got to, um, you know, year 10 at high school and they they said, well, all right, what, what are you going to do at university? And I had no idea and I still had no idea. I just sort of followed, went into office work and went into the family business. So Default setting. Yeah, and I, I sort of hadn't found my passion. And, and after searching the internet to find the cures, I came across food, is medicine and, you know, supplements and just working with my body. And, and I, I, you know, on the internet it's, it's hard to know what's real and what's not, what's Absolutely. fake. And, and I, I think I got to a point where I'd, 
I was confused. I didn't know how the human body worked and I wanted to know how everything worked at that metabolic level. So I looked at courses and things like that and I thought, I think I want to do a degree. And uh, I found a degree that really resonated with me, um, a, a natural college called Endeavour College of Natural Health. Awesome. And uh, we, I study with naturopaths and traditional Chinese medicine and wow. nutritionists. <laughs> and that's where I, I really wanted to be. So I started studying in 2018 and I'm uh, part, very part-time because I'm working and, you know, and I need to reduce stress and, yep. and I promised myself that I would enjoy this journey. And, and I am and I'm, uh, yeah, I'm doing my final year part-time so I should be finished towards the end of next year. That's very exciting. I love that. I love the fact that you, you're not accepting limitations on yourself. You're not – you could. You know, um, I think when we're given crossroads like the ones that you've had to come across, you can – you can severely limit yourself. You can go into victim mode. You can, you can, the depression, the anxiety, things like that, that changes how the chemical processes in your brain work. It's very hard to, like, I'm a big advocate of choice. Choice is incredible. But I think when you're so stuck in that space that it's really hard to understand that there's choice mm-hmm. and that you can decide how you're going to live a journey and how, you, how that's going to be your truth. Mm-hmm. And what our truth is becomes our reality on an energetic and spiritual level as well. Yeah, absolutely. So it's tough. So tell me about the community that you've built. How, how interactive is it? Are these people all over the world? Like, mm, yeah. It, as soon as I started it, people came in, started coming in from everywhere. I think within a few months we were almost 500 members. Wow. Um, or actually when I, within a year we were um, because the, the following year we were sitting about five 600 members and already uh, it was an instant relief actually right at the beginning. As soon as I started talking to people, I've been met a few in person and, and, you know, I still meet up with a lot of them uh, around Perth and, and all over the world. Um, it's, yeah, it was an instant relief to get that straight away connection and I knew it was exactly what I needed. Um, so I guess the, the focus over the years was to be that for others newly diagnosed to, yeah. to get the word out there. Be that light for them as well yeah. so they're not flailing around on their own in the, the dark internet. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, there's there's so many aspects of this. There's that removal of that feeling of doom at the beginning of diagnosis. Yeah. I wish I had that. I wish I had someone to talk to straight away who could explain this disease to me, explain that um, it's not the end of the world. You know, we can live with this. There are lots of options out there for us and that's getting more, then more and more options, you know, from when I was first diagnosed to now. You know, science has come a long way um, even then. Um, but but also I think what's been important is to get the information out there for others. Yeah, it's um, an awareness for sure. Yeah, yeah. So so about a, a year or, yeah, just over a year after I started the community, I was contacted by a lady from London and her name's Nicola Mendelssohn and she said to me, um, Nikki, I've just been diagnosed with follicular lymphoma. I found your community and I really like it and I would really like to help you. I work at Facebook and I think we can work together to to, to grow this community and um, hopefully one day find a cure for FL. And I I remember at the time my husband said to me, it's a scam. (laughs) It's that Nigerian prince again. (laughs) So so I actually, and I actually said to her, can you hang on a moment? I'm just going to Google you. Oh, wow. (laughs) So I Googled her and she's a vice president for Facebook. Amazing. Yeah. So she she has a lot of connections. Um, So I knew it was an absolutely huge opportunity to have her come on board as a Mm co-admin and and she still is a co-admin. 
And uh, since then, she has set up the uh, world's first foundation focused solely on follicular lymphoma called the Follicular Lymphoma Foundation. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. How is her journey going? Ups and downs or is she keeping positive? Like it must be hard. You guys are leading the front of a charge. Like there'll be all eyes on you. So do you still give yourself permission to have those tough days if they come along? Absolutely. And and that's one of the main things that I've learned through all this is, uh, you know, I do have a lot on my plate, uh, but uh, I will always put myself first. Good. Yeah. I think yeah. that's something that we find genetically impossible to do uh, as, as women, uh, but also as, as mothers, as wives, you know, we're always constantly worrying about everybody else. Yeah. And... Some of that is a beautiful thing, but I've learned over the last few years that you can't like that that you can't pour from an empty cup is 100 percent the truth. Absolutely. And it doesn't make you selfish. Like putting yourself first to make yourself priority doesn't make you selfish. Absolutely. Yeah, so. no, I 100 percent agree. Yeah, I will I'll, I'll always give myself that time if I need it. And I, I've learned to recognise that. Okay, I need some me time. And I'm never gonna apologize for that. <laughs> <laughs> How are your kids coping with your diagnosis now? Oh, they're good. They're, uh, we didn't tell them at the time because they were too young. Uh, but a few years later, we did some fundraising and I um, I wanted them to understand what we were fundraising for. So so that was the moment that I told them. I think my daughter was about eight and my, my son was about, well, he was still quite young. So, so he's known from as long as he can remember. Uh, cancer isn't a scary word for them. And that was one of the, the, the goals I wanted when I did tell them. Like, it, it's, it's not always scary. Um, so, so they don't know it to be scary. They, um, you know, they sort of, uh, you know, they take their cues from me. They, they look at me if I'm okay and I'm going well, then everything is fine and dandy. So uh, I've been really, really lucky not to have had to relapse yet and uh, I haven't needed any more treatment. Amazing. Yeah. So you've so. only ever had that one session of treatment back in 2014. Yeah. That's amazing, Nikki. That's really cool. Are you feeling strong within yourself? Do you feel? Yeah, I do. I, I've learned over the years to listen to my body take control of my own health and uh, and this is what I want to teach people when I finish my degree. I want to focus on um, oncology nutrition amazing, and uh, and just help cancer patients, especially right at the beginning, uh, just help them with their lifestyle, uh, you know, find out what changes that they can make, even just really little changes and help to, to focus on those areas of stress and sleep and, and things like that. Um, I would have loved somebody at the beginning to, to help guide me through that. So... What is your plan? Are you going to go private and consult? Are you going to join into clinics? How are you going to bring this into your working life? I think uh, my plan is to set up my own clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to be able to work remotely, so have a, a a client anywhere in the world. Yeah, being able to, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think with the technology we've got access to these days allows me to do that. Um, I'm very used to working from home. Um, I love doing that so I can be around my family while I work. Um, but I do have aspirations to set up a, a clinic uh, where I can have patients come in and, and talk to them. And uh, I do, as a, a finance broker or a mortgage broker that I used to be, I um, was really into helping people face-to-face with their finances and now I want to move that over to the health space. It's a beautiful vision and the fact is that you're living your own truth, that you're not doing it from a place of, have, of not experiencing it and the mindset and everything else that comes with it. Mm. The mind is such a powerful place. I think when you nail that, yeah. you're, in, you know, you're in good hands. <laughs> I was reading Dolores Cannon. Um, she keeps on finding me, right? Like there's this thing about her. I've, I've always seen known her. who she was. Have you? Uh, yeah, back in I think 2000 and something she came to Perth and oh, my, my cousin and took me along and, oh, she was amazing. Yeah. 
but I was listening to something that she, it was an interview that she did, and she was talking about how we create, our body creates our own illnesses, and people don't like to hear that. And I thought to myself, like, that's a lot. <laughs> but if we create our own illnesses, we create our own cure, and here you are living that truth. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Um, how can people find you? How can they, what are your socials? How can people find you if they're looking for you? Um, if, well, if they're on Facebook, they can search living with follicular lymphoma and, and I can be contacted through there. Um, a lot of people find me on Messenger. Um, I also help admin um, uh, Lymphoma Australia's uh, Lymphoma Down Under group. Um, I, I'm in touch with various charities um, around Australia as well as Ma Follicular Lymphoma Foundation. So the uh, Follicular Lymphoma Foundation website is the flf.org. Mm -hmm. um, I, I work very closely with the staff at the foundation. We meet every week and um, I'm huge into patient advocacy, you know, wanting to, to get the, the education out there available to the patients um, right at the get-go. So That's yeah. beautiful. Do you have any speaking plans to go and talk to people who are going through this or to help people understand that there are no limitations on what they decide to do and empowering their own um, treatment choices and things like that? I don't have any major plans, but I'm, I'm really open to seeing where things take me. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be an awesome thing for you to be able to do, um, just that. I mean, I know, I know a lot of people don't like public speaking, but I think you'd be fine at that. So. Uh, it, to be honest, it has always been a bit of a fear of mine, um, but it's something that I'd, I would like to, to be more comfortable as I get as I get older, I'm getting more comfortable and, and wiser. I think I'm now in my forties. So, <laughs> I was when I was looking at the questions for your interview, and not that I've followed any of them again, but that you. <laughs> um, I had this thing in my head. I was going to ask you what you wanted to be when you grow up, and now I understand why. <laughs> now I know. <laughs> it took me 36 years to work it out, but you got there, right? Like yeah. you got there eventually. Yeah. And do you, are your family still running the mortgage broking and everything else? Do you still have that aspect, or have you moved away from that entirely now? Um, so I was. Uh, originally the original well no not the original but I was the succession plan so I was meant to take <laughs> over the family business but uh, I think as I got further into my illness and I started my degree um, my dad started to understand that that wasn't the area that I'm meant to be working on and um, my parents fully support support what I'm doing um, so my dad closed the business down uh, last year and he, he retired. So, oh, good. <laughs> yeah, so I'm now free to continue with my studies because before I was working and studying and being a mum and all that, but um, I have learned over the years to juggle that and, uh, you know, not not make it a stressful situation for me, but to, to let that go was, was really good. Um, but uh, I do have a part-time job now. Okay. Yeah. And... What would your message be for that younger version of you, the you that just got grabbed with that diagnosis and was looking at your 10-month-old baby and the life that you'd created? What would you tell her? Definitely to, to start looking at your yourself, you know, start focusing on your health and, and, and putting yourself first. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. No um, hopefully, well, obviously I'll be promoting this on, on different platforms anyway. Yeah that people know how to find you. But thank you for doing the work that you do. It's much needed and much appreciated. No problem. And thank you so much for helping spread awareness. No, you're very welcome. <laughs>